be seated. I, uh, I wrote on my sheet here, dismiss kids before him. I wrote that on my sheet and didn't do it again. It looks like all the kids that were going to Children's Church, uh, looks like most of them have escaped. If there is anybody who is not, they can go ahead and do that now. So I apologize to you parents out there. Um, two Sundays ago, or two, I should say two Thursdays ago, was Thanksgiving. Most people in this room traveled to get together with family or friends, some locally, some farther away. You got to connect with loved ones. Thanksgiving is a highlight of your year. Maybe you got to hear about how your cousin's new job is going really well. Or maybe you got to see Uncle Frank for the first time since he stopped his chemotherapy treatments. Since my wife Anne and I moved up here to Massachusetts in 2009, we have never traveled back to Tennessee for Thanksgiving. It's just, it's just too long a trip for too short of a time. And it, that's a source of sadness for us, missing out on those times with family, although we've always had good times up here with friends. Celebrating Thanksgiving is such a wonderful experience. But Thanksgiving can also be a really terrible experience. As I talk about how good it can be, some of you were probably remembering how bad your holiday was. Instead of enjoying some time with your family, your Thanksgiving was really rough. Your Uncle Tony, he wouldn't stop talking about all the things that he has learned in his online research. Your cousin, they asked if they could borrow money since they had just been fired from their job. Money that you know will probably go towards a new tattoo, not keeping the lights on. Nobody doubts that Thanksgiving is supposed to be a good experience. Unfortunately, that is not many people's actual experience. The fact that it is supposed to be good makes it that much harder when it is not good. Christians in Corinth, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. They did get together to celebrate a meal. Unfortunately, when this happens, their experience is likewise negative instead of positive. What is supposed to be good isn't. In today's verses, we are going to get a window into the dysfunction of the Corinthian church. That window gives us insight that can be used to prevent our own experience of church from being a negative one. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 17 and read through verse 22. Today's text is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, 
but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of the Lord remains forever. The novel, Anna Karenina, I never say that correctly, written by the great Russian author Leo Tolstoy, has one of the most famous opening lines in all of literature. Tolstoy wrote, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Churches function similarly to families. Unhappy churches, churches that are divided, are like families, unhappy in their own ways. The church in Corinth is an especially unhappy church. In these verses, Paul is continuing to try to address one of the sources of that unhappiness division. If you have been a part of church for long, at any point in your life, you have probably experienced division in a church. Today's verses help us to see why division is a problem, how it happens, and why, at times, division is necessary. People have the capacity to bring about good and bad. Often, we do both at the same time. The same thing could be said for every organization or institution that a multitude of people come together to form. We see the potential for good and evil play out in corporations all of the time. The products and services provided by companies allow us to exist with modern comforts. No single craftsman could build a reliable car from scratch. If they did so, every unit they produce would take months, if not years, to come into existence, and it would be incredibly expensive. Toyota, Ford, and other giant corporations make it possible for us to live as well as we do. It is because Toyota exists that in a few weeks I will get to drive down to Tennessee and see my family, and that's a good, good thing. Corporations are also responsible for great evil. Companies have produced chemicals that cause cancer. 
Publicly traded companies routinely lay off workers that have faithfully served for years to make the company appear more profitable in the short term for quarterly stockholder reports. The huge amount of overdose-related deaths in the United States over the past two decades can be tied back to the promotional practices of the pharmaceutical giant Purdue Pharma. The potential for good and evil isn't limited to corporations alone. We see the same capacities play out in governments and even in families. Both family and government are recognized by Christians as what's called common grace institutions. Common grace institutions are given by God for the well-being of all people. Whether a person is a Christian or not, Christians believe they can benefit from being part of a family and living under the authority of a just government. Despite the benefit government and family were instituted by God to confer, this is not how these institutions always play out. When Joseph Stalin was the undisputed leader of the Soviet Union, millions of Russian citizens died. Chairman Mao, the leader of China, not to be outdone, was responsible for killing even more of his citizens. Within families, domestic violence is a huge problem. In New York City, there are approximately 230,000 domestic incidences annually. They get nearly 600 calls a day. It seems the church, the church should be an institution made of people that does not exhibit the same possibility for evil seen in corporations, governments, and families. After all, the church was created by God through Christ to be the means by which grace is carried into the world. The church is referred to in scripture in ways that highlight its intended goodness. The church is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. Unfortunately, most people are all too aware of the evil that has been brought about in and through churches over the years. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. Two famous failures of churches happened in the greater Boston area. Back in 1692, in Salem Village, a moral hysteria took hold through the local church that led to 20 people being put to death for witchcraft. More recently, it came out that the Catholic Diocese of Boston had covered up for abusive priests for years. Writing to the Corinthian church, Paul points out, when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. 
Paul isn't just angry or frustrated with the Corinthian church. He is disgusted. The church isn't just a human institution. It is where God's partnership with humanity made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit is supposed to manifest itself. The church in Corinth is not just falling short of its high calling. The people that are going to church gatherings are worse off for it. This is a tragedy. The reason that these gatherings of the church are so bad that those who go are worse off is the divisions that are manifested when they happen. Paul describes the divisions that exist. He states, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Needless to say, this is not how church gatherings are supposed to be taking place. The Corinthians' problem continues to be that they are bringing worldly ways of doing things into the church instead of the opposite. Divisions between rich and poor that happen out in the world are happening to the same extent in the church. Paul's disdain is obvious. You can tell by Paul's by the tone Paul takes, division in the church should be taken as seriously as he has taken any prior issue that he has addressed in this letter. Previously he has talked about sexual immorality and pagan sacrifice. Division in the church is no less problematic than pagan sacrifice and sexual immorality in Paul's mind. Corporate worship is supposed to bind the individuals that make up the body of Christ into a cohesive whole. That's not what's happening. When the Corinthians gather, the differences that exist among their numbers are highlighted. There is nothing communal about the experience. What is happening in Corinth doesn't even qualify as Christian worship. God is not glorified by division. He does not take any satisfaction in seeing people fulfill their carnal urges at the expense of others. Thankfully, people using gatherings of the church to selfishly get drunk, it's not really a problem you hear about in churches today. That does not mean that divisions are not a problem. They very much are. Some of you may or may not be aware of this. There's actually a crisis of division that is taking place in the American church right now, the American evangelical church. You can see evidence for this in the amount of pastors that have already resigned or are thinking about doing so in the next couple of years. 
churches and whole denominations are imploding all around. Just as in Corinth, the divisions wreaking havoc in American churches are a result of cultural divisions being brought into the church. In Corinth, the fault line between various groups were tied to wealth. In American churches, the fault lines are often the result of variations in political commitments. Every person who comes into a gathering of the church needs to remember whose house they are coming into. The church, this church, it doesn't belong to any of us. It is easy to forget this is the case. When you invest time and energy in something, it is normal to feel a sense of attachment. That's good. That should be celebrated. But when this attachment turns into a feeling of ownership, problems arise. The church does not belong to any person. None of us own Byfield Parish Church. It doesn't matter how much investment a person has made in the church. Some people think that because their family has been at a church for decades or generations, that means the church exists for them. Some people think that because they give a lot of time or money, their desires for a church matter more. You're not going to believe this, but there are even pastors, there are even pastors that think their role means that the church is theirs to do with as they please. Let us be very clear, the church belongs to none other than Jesus Christ. He is its only Lord. Division within a church is always an indication that individuals or groups are defying the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we behave selfishly in the church, we are despising, Paul's word, despising the church of God. It shows how seriously Paul takes what is happening in Corinth, that he uses this word. We should take division just as seriously when it happens in the present. Divisions indicate dysfunction in the church of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Divisions are sometimes necessary. Back up in verse 19, Paul wrote, For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. The church is the body of Christ. It is also an institution made up of broken people. I, I met with someone this week, and we were talking about their relationship to the church. It was really, really good, really positive conversation. Uh, and I was saying to them, you know, like, I would love for you to be more a part of this church. I'd love it, right? But I said, I need you to be really clear on something. 
as you think about that, I need you to be really clear on something. This church is filled with broken people, and that is not going to change. So if you're expecting to come in here, if you're expecting to find a place where everybody has it together, and everybody's nice all the time, and everybody's theology is perfect, this is not the place for you. Okay? It's just not. And it's better to break that hard news to people on the front end and have them figure it out on their own because they get really angry when they figure it out on their own. This is a place of, of broken people. At best, the people that make up local expressions of the church are sinners progressing forward in grace. Unfortunately, there will be setbacks. Times when sin gains the upper hand. The church will ultimately only be perfect when Christ's work is complete in the people that make it up. But the present church, we are moving toward that place of perfection in fits and in starts. In addition to Christians that are part of the church, there are those who are part of the church for other reasons. Churches are often soft targets for those who hunger for power and control. Often these people are excellent at speaking the language of Christianity, but exhibit none of the fruit of Christianity. Not everyone that calls themselves a Christian and is part of a church is genuine. A church that never exhibits any division is likely not a church holding firmly to gospel truth. It is tepid, lukewarm. While Christians shouldn't exult in divisions, neither can we avoid them at all costs. In the differences that sometimes occur, those who are genuine may be recognized. Byfield has chosen to remain in a denomination where our convictions put us in the position of being a minority faction. We have stayed partially because we hope that over time other churches will recognize the beliefs we extol and our genuine Christian beliefs. We recognize that by staying, we are inviting conflict. It would be easier for us if we left. But we don't think that would be faithful to the call we have from God at the present time. For those in the church, we have to determine, all of us, we have to determine which divisions are a necessary outworking of genuine faith and which are simply the result of sin that despises the church of God. Back at the beginning of chapter 11, Paul made clear the underlying principle which with which with which the Corinthians should approach divisions, both real and possible. 
He wrote, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul didn't divide over issues that were not core to the kingdom of God. He didn't cause separation in the church over cultural preferences. However, when it came to matters that were core to the Christian faith, Paul would not back down for an instant. He would stand and fight. He would give his life. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul recounts a time he would not back down. He aggressively called the Apostle Peter out. Peter was the main leader of the early church. Paul couldn't let Peter's behavior, which undercut the gospel, slump. I am sure there were those at the time that thought Paul's words to Peter would doom the early church. Paul's words were necessary to keep the church committed to the gospel. The faction Paul stood up for in this case, which Peter actually believed in as well, established itself as the dominant and correct strain of Christianity within the church. It was actually Peter's divisive behavior, which was rooted in fear, that would have destroyed the church if it had not been addressed. In the same way war is sometimes necessary to bring about real peace, there are times when division is a necessary precursor to unity. Every Christian should have a yearning desire for unity within the church. That unity cannot be pursued at the cost of truth. Biblical unity develops out of a commitment to the underlying truths of God. Most of the things people divide over are ridiculous. If you think back to the arguments that have occurred at your Thanksgiving over the years, they, they probably seem silly in retrospect. Arguing with Uncle Tony about what he read on the internet, it's probably a waste of time. Even if you get him to change his mind, he would probably develop some new bizarre obsession in its place. Divisions in the church reflect a dynamic that is very similar to dysfunctional families more often than not. We divide over matters of personal preference that are disconnected from the truth of God we are supposed to be unifying around. These sorts of divisions despise the church of God. We should never take division lightly. It is always a big deal. There are times when it is a necessary outworking of genuine Christian faith. When this is the case, it must be taken seriously. There are times when division is the result of a corrosive selfishness within the church. This must be taken seriously as well. 
The desire of God is that the church be the unified body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is operating to bring about this eternal good that we are only moving towards halting. As Christians, we must make sure we are doing everything we can to ensure that we are part of the unified gospel solution, not the selfish problem of division. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we live in a world of division. This division seems to grow and grow with every passing day and, and month and year, Lord. And in many ways, it seems like the world we live in is at a breaking point on, on many different fronts, Lord. And, and we do pray for our world. We pray for everything happening internationally and, and nationally within our states, within our towns. We, we pray for peace in all of those areas. But we especially pray for unity within the church, all of these worldly things will pass away. The church of Jesus Christ will not pass away, Lord. And I, I pray that we can play the roles that you have given to each of us to build up this body of Christ, to be part of a unified whole, carrying out your mission in the world. I pray that as we move forward as, as a community, that we would always be looking to how we can benefit that unity, Lord, and how our own selfishness may inhibit it. I pray that you would be with us and that we might be unified under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.